to. We come to a very difficult portion of Scripture to interpret. There are multitudes of interpretations. I'm not going to try to convince you of any of those today. I'm just going to share with you uh, what the Bible says and uh, maybe what I believe a little bit about this interpretation of Scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read beginning in verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of, perdition, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Verse 5, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that, he, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Verse 9, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Lord, bless our moments together here as we look into your word and learn about it. And Father, teach us what you have for us today and we will follow you in all this we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, as I said, it's a difficult passage. There's a couple of things in it that uh, cause people to um, go different directions, all right? So let's talk about these. Don't miss the point of the text, though. That's the uh, title that I gave this message today. Don't miss the point. The point is not timing, necessarily. The point is uh, what God wants to do with this text, and he's speaking to us. He's teaching us about some things, and I want you to know it's not timing. It's not a timeline that he's teaching us. He's teaching us about being saved. He's teaching us to make sure that we are in the kingdom. He's warning us with this message more than anything else. There are three views. I'm sure most of you know this. Some of you may not. I want to repeat it. Three views of the church being taken from the world. All right. One is called the pre-tribulation view. That means that the seven years of tribulation that the Bible teaches in Revelation and some other passages, Daniel, the seven years of this troubled time of the earth, God takes the church before that comes, pre-tribulation. There's another view called mid-tribulation, and some people believe that God allows the church to go through half of the tribulation, and then he takes the church. 
The other view is post-tribulation, and that means that the church will go through the entire tribulation period of judgment, of sin, and then God will take the church. So there's three views, pre, mid, and post-tribulation. These have nothing really to do with the three views of the millennial kingdom, all right? There is a pre-millennial view. There is a mid uh, or I'm sorry, a pre-millennial view. There's a post-millennial view and an ah-millennial view. Pre-millennial means, and we believe, that Christ comes before the millennial kingdom is established, stands on the earth to begin that kingdom. That's pre-millennial. Post-millennial means that he comes at the end of the thousand years and that he deals out uh, the final judgment on uh, the devil and mankind. At the end of that millennial kingdom, that view sees the world as getting better and better, okay? And eventually Christianity will take over the world and then Christ will come to finish that up. Well, I'm not going with that view. I don't see the world going that way. All millennial really has a view that there is no millennial kingdom. All meaning none. No millennial reign of Christ. So, Premillennial means he comes before the millennial kingdom is established and he begins that himself. So I am a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial believer, okay? I believe Christ comes, takes the church before the seven years of judgment. I believe that Christ comes and establishes the, the kingdom. Uh, and I say comes and takes the church. He appears, the Bible tells us, and takes the church. Then he comes and stands on the earth to begin, to begin his millennial reign. Now, uh, now that I've got you really confused, we're going to talk about what we read here in, in the text. The Thessalonians were worried, we believe, doesn't really tell us why they're worried, but they're worried about something. And we believe that they're worried about missing the day of the Lord, the church being taken and, and, and this judgment period started. They, they were afraid that they'd miss that. So Paul writes them back in 2 Thessalonians to reassure them that they have not missed it because there's a couple of things that have to take place before it comes. So clearly in verse 1 we understand that. He's writing to us about the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. Now these words are in direct correlation to what he taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 on the screen. Look at that. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. All right, so we believe that indicates to us the rapture of the church. Now, why do we call it the rapture? Because caught up in that text in Latin is rapturo. So when the Bible's translated over centuries of time, some Bibles are translated from Latin to English, and we get the word rapture. So it's not in the Bible, the word rapture, but caught up is in the Bible. And so we believe that Christ will descend, as it says. doesn't say he'll come. It just says he descends 
the shout of an archangel, the trumpet of God blast, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus be with the Lord forever. Okay? So, we believe that that happens prior to this judgment period called the tribulation. Or at least, I'm going to say, I believe that. You can believe what you like, and you know what? It doesn't change anything. Uh, We all may be wrong. Because God doesn't just directly tell us exactly how this works. He just gives us little tidbits of information that we gather up and we try to discern uh, what he's telling us. But don't miss the point. It's not about when the church is taken. It's about are you in it? Okay? That's the point of the scripture. Are you in the church that will be taken sometime or another during those seven years? That's what I hope you gather up today. So this church is worried about missing the rapture. And Paul uh, speaks to them about their doubting. And let me say this. Uh, you know, sometimes we think that we, we know, that we are secure in what we know. And uh, I, I believe there were 12 men in a room one night with Jesus that felt the same way. They were secure in what they knew about him. And then he threw this out to them. One of you, this night, will betray me. And every one of them said, not me, Lord. Don't, not me. I, I wouldn't do that, would I? Would I be the one to betray you? And they had this self-doubt about themselves. I'm sure that you've had self-doubt about yourself, right? So we look at the Thessalonians, we look at the disciples, and we kind of laugh a little bit about their self-doubt, but every one of us has had self-doubt that if we came to church one day and nobody was here but us, what would happen? Did we miss it? Did we miss the rapture? And we would all begin to think in that process. So these Thessalonians are in no uh, small crowd, are they? They're right among the rest of us. They thought perhaps they had missed it. Why? Because of the persecution and the, the things that were happening in their life. They were under, under Roman rule. Caesar was wreaking havoc on Christians at this time. And they felt like that perhaps was the judgment of God. And so they questioned that. Paul gives them his answer in verse 3. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. What won't come? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Some people want to say that's two distinct happenings. I don't read it like that necessarily. I read it as the apostasy happens and the man of lawlessness is revealed perhaps at the same time. In fact, I believe that the man of lawlessness leads in the apostasy. All right? The apostasy being the turning away from the faith. That does not mean that Christians, true, genuine Christians, can turn away from the faith. That's impossible. You cannot be a believer in Christ, have security in Christ, be saved, and then turn away from it. 
because it has to do with losing your salvation. And we don't believe a man can do that. We don't believe a man would do that, let alone could do that. So who are the apostasy people? Well, when you look at the word apostasy, it also has a meaning of not just turning away, but it has another meaning. It has a meaning of departure. Now, I'm not telling you uh, this is set in stone, but I want you to just give it an ear to me for a moment. If it means the turning away or also the departing from, could the apostasy not have the meaning of the church being taken? The departure of the church and the man of lawlessness being revealed. Okay? Just throwing that out there for your information. Not trying to teach you a weird thing, okay? I just want you to understand that word. Apostasy means to turn away or to depart from. So it falls in line with the idea that that could be the church turning away. Now Paul writes it to Timothy in a letter about in the last days there will be a... Uh, an apostasy. He doesn't call it that necessarily, but he says that, peop, uh, that the people will turn away from the truth. So if the man of lawlessness is cut loose on the world, what do you think he's going to do? Preach the gospel? He's not going to preach the gospel. He's going to turn people away from God. He's going to try to turn the world away from following God. So Paul's writing to these people and saying, listen, some things have to happen. You haven't missed it. The church is going to be taken out. And then this man of lawlessness is going to turn loose on the world and lead them in deception. He, he describes that here in a little bit. And we'll get into that. So the man of lawlessness, uh, he's going to be uh, taken. Now, if Paul told this church, you're going to be taken out before all of this happens, why would he waste his words in telling them that, the departure would happen or the apostasy would happen and the man of lawlessness be revealed if they weren't going to be here. Why would Paul tell you something that's going to happen after you've been taken? If we believe that the day of the Lord is a 24-hour period, then he would come and take the church and make judgment all in that 24-hour period. So we don't see that day of the Lord being a 24-hour period. We see the day of the Lord being a series of events that take place over a certain amount of time. The taking of the church. The man of lawlessness being revealed. And it's Christ working behind the scenes during the tribulation period. When all of these bowls of wrath and trumpets of judgment are laid out on the world, those aren't coming from the man of lawlessness. They're coming from God. So Jesus is working there behind the scenes. And then at the end of that, he reveals himself to the world, judges the world, separates the sheep from the goats, and begins the millennial kingdom. See, that's what we think will happen. So the day of the Lord is not 24 hours. It is a series of things that take place. And I want you to understand it like that. That's really the correct way to look at it. 
And I want you to understand this. It's not about when you leave as the church. It's about, are you in the church? Look in verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. The question is, have you received that love from God, the truth, to lead you to Christ to save your soul? Both texts read today were about being saved. And that's what God is interested about, is us being saved. Now, he says that this revealing of the man of lawlessness, that's in line with what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What's the abomination of desolation? The devil's man standing in the temple of God, seated on the throne, calling himself God. Isn't that what Paul just told us? Let's read that again. Look with me in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of... I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. Look in verse, look in verse uh, 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. The abomination of desolation. Daniel wrote about it. Jesus taught about it. Paul is continuing that teaching about it. Paul is informing them of the things that will happen before the day of the Lord. Doesn't mean that it is the uh, rapture of the church. Doesn't mean that they've missed that. Okay? He's telling them this just like you and I read the book of Revelation. Why do I need to read the book of Revelation if I'm not going to be here? Because God's informing me about things that will happen. You understand? So Paul's informing this church. Even though they won't be here during this time, he's informing them about things that will happen. And so let's, let's move on and, and keep it going. Now, the son of perdition or the son of destruction that is mentioned there in verse 3, the revealing of him. You know, I said the son of perdition. That's because that's what the King James calls it. The son of perdition, which just means the son of destruction. There's only been one other man ever called that in the Bible, and that was Judas. In the Old Testament, he was referred to as the son of destruction or the son of perdition. He was the betrayer. Amen? He betrayed Christ. And so what is this antichrist person, son of lawlessness, going to do? He's going to betray mankind. He's already tried to betray God, but he got kicked out for it. And now he's going to betray you because mankind is God's prized possession. God's prized creation is mankind. And God's done everything he can to save mankind from the sin of mankind. But this Antichrist, law, man of lawlessness, is the betrayer of mankind. So don't miss the point. What's going to happen to him? Well, in verse 6. Paul writes to them, and you know what restrains him now. 
so that in his time he may be revealed. What restrains the man of lawlessness? That's a good question, isn't it? What, what could be uh, restraining him? Well, we look on in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Don't you find that interesting that that is little h? He, little h. If it was God, it might be capitalized, wouldn't it? I mean, all the other references to God in my Bible are capitalized. Even dealing with the Holy Spirit, calling Him a He in John 16. Capital H. But here it's little h. Now, I did find some newer translations that tried to capitalize that H. I find that a little bit odd because most translations, uh, most commendable translations use the small case H. So it doesn't indicate God, but it indicates a person or it indicates a force that's called he or an entity that's called he. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, I told you what it is that restrains him. Don't you wish you could have been in that room? But we don't know the answer to that. And here's where I told you there are so many different interpretations. Some believe it's the Spirit of God. I, as a Southern Baptist, have been taught that my whole life. Or as long as I've been a Christian, let me say that, that it was the Spirit of God. Well, why is it not capitalized then? And others teach that it is uh, some kind of a force from God. Or others teach that it is a government that is in place in the world. Others believe that it's this and that. Some, which I'm leaning towards now, want to accredit that he to the church. Now, I've never thought about the church being a he, but if you think about it, I'm going to ask you a question. Christian, what restrains evil in you right now? What is within you that restrains the evil that is, we are capable of? Well, we would all agree, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't He restrain us? The Bible says that He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of righteousness. He convicts us of judgment. And so the Holy Spirit plays a part in all of our lives in helping us to overcome evil and to prevent us from doing it. In fact, I have a verse in Galatians chapter 5. Look at the screen with me. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. God put the spirit in us to stop us from doing the deeds of the flesh. So God uses His Spirit to prevent us from sinning or to help us stop from sinning or to give us a wake-up call to sinning. And so in the same respect, the Spirit of God indwells you and you are a member of this church. So could it possibly be that the He in verses 7 
are indicating the Spirit of God working through and in His church to restrain evil in this world. That's an idea, okay? Now, let me add to that idea. If you think about watching the news and all the things that happen on TV, and and that's where we get a lot of our information, newspapers, we see that the world is just in chaos, don't we? It's It's just diminishing in morality and all the things. What really is the only good thing in our world today? The church. If you think about that, sincerely think about it, Really, the only good thing in this entire world is His church. Amen? So, is it possible that Paul is teaching us today that before the judgment comes, God's going to remove the restrainer of evil from this world? Possible. Amen? Possible that that's what he's teaching us. The little he, I'm not sure. We are called the body of Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. But more times we're called the body of Christ. So why would you not think a little H-E would be the body of Christ? I could see that. I still would like it to be capitalized, and that would just cure all of our woes of interpretation. But it's not. And therefore, we have to surmise of some other thing. But don't miss the point. It's not what is restraining that is so important. What is important is that you have received the love of the gospel of God to save your soul. That's the point of the message. That's what I want you to see. I have to teach it this way because God says... Let's go through the Thessalonians. So I can't skip over stuff. Amen. I've got to teach it like it's here. And that's what he shares with me to do. Now, all of this said, it lines up with something else that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the screen again with me. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. What did Paul say would happen in our text over here? He said that first the apostasy would come. I'm trying to find it where he mentioned the revealing of... ah, Oh, well, that was in the first Thessalonians. That's why I couldn't find it about the rapture. So there's a trumpet involved in both of these could be the same instance. I believe it is where the dead are raised imperishable. The dead are raised first. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air to always be with the Lord. And so I want you to consider that, that Paul is teaching us today that this restrainer might be the only good thing in this world. The Holy Spirit working through His people, the church, restraining evil in our world today. That is a very good possibility. Now let's go on. What does this lawless one do? Well, in verse 6 and 7 it tells us, And you know what restrains him? So that in his time he may be revealed, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains will, be, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. What does this Antichrist do? He does things uh, after the rapture. Au contraire, Paul says in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This man is already on the move. This man is already dealing out destruction. This man is already dealing out trouble and problems. Let me ask you this. Why is it that we cannot correct the destruction that is in our world? Why cannot we correct each other? Why can I not correct the things that are wrong in me? Why can we not, as a people, stop sex trafficking? Why can we not just stop at the border the trafficking of drugs across the border into our country? Why can't we stop that? Why can't an alcoholic stop drinking when it destroys his family, his job, and his life? Why can't he stop? Because the man of lawlessness is at work. And Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery why we can't stop. We've had 2,000 years since Christ. And have we improved the human race? No. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. Why can't the Jews build the temple in Israel? They've got the money, they've got the backing, they've got the materials, they've got the want to, and they've got the place to build it. Why can't they get it done? Because something is restraining them. Something has to be taken out of the way. Something has to be removed. Just like God did not destroy the world until Noah got in the ark. Just like God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot came out. The book of Hebrews calls Lot a righteous man. God took Lot out before he destroyed it. God put Noah in salvation before he destroyed the world. God will take his church out before he brings his judgment upon this place. Amen. Amen? Verse, five, uh, verse 9 of chapter uh, 5 of 1 Thessalonians says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not destine His church for wrath, but for salvation. So why can't things happen and get things straightened out? It's because this force has to be removed. This, it's not time for it to happen. It's not time for the temple to be rebuilt. God has a timing. And the origin of this man of lawlessness is the devil. Amen? It's Satan, it mentions here, whose works are in accord with Satan. So it's Satan behind the scenes of this man of lawlessness. Now, it says in Ephesians 6 on the screen, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a mystery that is already at work. This man of lawlessness gains a following by his signs of power, by the signs of miracles, and by false wonders. All right? It says that in verse 9. Now, it goes on in verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness. Let's think about that. What is he saying? What does he mean by all of the deception of wickedness? Deception is making something one way when it looks another. Amen? So what does he mean by that? Well, I've already listed some of the problems that our world is having in in correcting itself. But let's think about drugs. Let's think about the television commercials that you watch every afternoon and evening. And I dare you to count the prescription drugs that are displayed to you and advertised to you. Okay? Why is that? Because they make it look appealing. They make it look helpful to you. They make it look Wonderful. Go along with all of the casino advertisements. You ever seen one advertisement from a casino when the guy walked out with his pockets empty and his head down? You don't see one like that. You see all of them having fun and celebrating deception of wickedness. That's what's in a casino. That's what's in a bottle of drink. That's what's in the drugs that we are being enticed to consume. That's what's in the gambling at the casino. That's what's in the sexual promiscuity of our young people and older people. That's what's in the sexual perversion uh, of this world. All of it is made to look beautiful, to look like fun, to look attractive. But in the end, it brings Heartache, it brings ruin, it brings destruction. And the Bible says right here in verse 7, it's already at work. It doesn't have to wait till the rapture happens. It's already happening now. And guess what? This life of leisure, so to speak, this life of fun and pleasure and being attractive, all of that is offered to all of those who do not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That is the point of the text. Paul is not trying to teach us a timeline. He's trying to teach us a moment in time for you to be saved, for you to come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. He goes on in verse 11, And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they might believe what is false. That word false there is also translated lie. So that they might believe the lie. What is the lie? Well, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and you can figure out what the lie is. When the devil told Eve, you can be like God. You can run your own life. You can make all of the decisions. You don't need to fear dying. You won't die. 
All of those things that happen to people today. Believing the lie. Being like God. Running our own life. No fear of death or no fear of sin. That will become the worldwide condition under this man of lawlessness. Why? Because the restrainer has been removed. The only good thing in this world that's holding it together right now. Did you ever think about that, church? The reason your community, the reason your city, the reason your neighborhood is peaceful and gentle perhaps and good and fun to live in is because of you? Because you're a follower of the Almighty God? The Spirit of God's working in you to restrain evil. When you see something wrong, you address it. When you see something that's potentially wrong, you address it. You don't just let it go. You don't let, let live and let live. You take care of your neighbors. You take care of people around you. Think about it. When that's gone, what would the world be like? That's what Paul is telling us. These people will be under the uh, influence and leadership of the man of lawlessness. The Bible teaches us he's going to be a world leader. And he's going to lead them right into hell. Unless you tell them about the Lord today. Don't cut corners. Don't think that you're going to offend them. They need it. They need to be offended. They need to know that they're doing the wrong thing. That the Lord wants to rescue them. Not to pinch them down. He wants to set them free. Amen? That's what you and I can be doing. That's the point of the message. Humanism will take over. But guess what? Not today. Not today. Because you are still here. You and I don't live in the day of the Lord. We live in the day of grace. And many of you in this room have received that grace. And now you're following Christ. Some of you know you need to. Some of you have pretended that you have. But you know you're not. Some of you have not even considered it until now. But today is the day of grace. This day is coming. This day is a moment away. Or it is a lifetime away. Why did God not give us a timeline to keep His church faithful? To keep us on the alert. To keep us preaching the message. To keep us loving each other. To keep us sharing the grace of God. I challenge you today, you can be a part of that group that will be caught up in the air if you would give your life to Jesus right now in this room. Right now in this moment, Nathaniel and the ladies will come and lead us in a song of invitation. Why don't you come up, join that crowd. I want to ask you, where do you stand today with Jesus Christ? Where are you in that kingdom where are you in your walk? Where are you in your relationship between good and evil, right and wrong, true and false? Listen, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can restrain that in you. If you don't have that spirit, oh, you can do good for a moment. 
You might even do good for a week. But eventually, the evil will overcome. Why? Because you have no power within yourself to restrain it. In fact, it is who you are. A sinner. And it will come out. The Bible says, beware, your sin will find you out. It will be exposed. You can't hide it. All you can do is ask God to forgive you and come into your life and save you from this demise that we've read about today. Where are you with Him? Do you belong to Jesus? Don't miss the point. Be saved today. Let's stand and sing this song together.